Recorded live by the funniest lesbian comedians who call Western New York home, it's Transformation Thursday. Hi, my name is Bill Satry, and because I still haven't figured out how to say no to Amy, I have re-upped as the big voice of my favorite podcast. Your hosts for this journey through Tangentville are Sarah Cannon from Honey... Oh, Honey... Hon... Honey on me. Where's the pronunciation guy? Falls of New York. Well, that town. Honey Oi. Falls, New York. And Amy Stevens, who hails from White Bear Lake, Minnesota, don't you know? But now, both call Rochester, New York, not Minnesota, their home. Welcome to Transformation Thursday. My name is Sarah Cannon, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her as well. Tonight we are starting our... Welcome to Trans... And my name is Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her as well. Tonight we are starting our series on approaches to transition, and specifically referring to surgeries and why we decide to get them as trans and gender diverse folks. Coming on to the podcast tonight is my friend, Avery Smith. Avery is a trans woman. Uh, she goes by she, they pronouns, and she'll talk a little bit about that, and her approach to pronouns, her approach to her transition, and the surgery she chose. But before we get to Avery's interview, um, Bill Satry, the big voice of Transformation Thursday, is going to remind you that what you are listening to is copyrighted material. This is Bill Satry, the big voice of Transformation Thursday, here to remind you that what you're listening to is copyrighted material. All rights reserved 2022. You can find Transformation Thursday online by searching for at Trans Thurs Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. It's free and does help get Transformation Thursday to a larger audience. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. This is Sarah Cannon. My pronouns are she, her. My name is still Amy Stevens after that little break, and my pronouns are she, her as well. And today we have one of my favorite people with me, Avery Smith. Avery is here to kick off our series on transgender and non-binary. Um, let's just say, call it approach to transition, surgeries, um, so a little bit about transition stories and life stories. So, Avery, welcome to the podcast. So great to see your face on our Zoom screens tonight. Well, thank you for having me. And, and if you, while we're at it, why don't you run your pronouns by us, please? Uh, sure. Uh, like you said, my name is Avery. My pronouns are she, they. And, you know, one of the things that we were talking about before when we were pre-gaming this episode is, you know, every person has a different approach to pronouns in our lives. You know, talk a little bit how you approach she, they. Yeah, right. So um, I originally just was going with, you know, she, her pronouns and identified myself, I, you know, labeled myself as a trans woman. Um, then I went through this kind of a deep thought process, I guess, about gender and you know, I started thinking, well, you know, I don't really always feel feel gender, my gender really strongly. Um, 
you know, and I've read some some novel or excuse me, not novels, but uh, I've, I've read like uh, Gender Trouble by Judith Butler. And, you know, and I got to thinking, well, if gender, well, uh, like one of the, the things from that book is about uh, gender being like a, a performative act. And and I got to thinking, well, you know, if, if I thought about gender that way, then, you know, I didn't, I don't believe maybe in, a, in my intrinsic gender. Um, and I'm not going to force that any, on anybody else, but I feel like that was, gender was kind of a weak concept for me. So it, in all like most practical ways, I would, I would say I'm a woman, but I think, you know, on like a, a deep level, I would say, like I'm more, I'm more non-binary, so um, so I kind of landed on she they because I I feel being perceived as a woman is good and fine by me, but also I don't feel that just being a woman and and using sh you know she her pronouns represented me well. Hey, Avery, I just had a follow-up question to that because I find that a really interesting response to, you know, I think the use of pronouns and the variety of pronouns that are out there, like for myself, I know it's taking me a lot of effort, you know, just to make sure I know the various pronouns that are out there. And so when you talk about that specific personal application of pronouns and explaining the reasons why you do that, how when you're out in the world talking to people who maybe just don't even know that you can do that, uh, you know, have these variety of pronouns, are there instances or examples you can think of where that might've been easy or might've been difficult to explain that? You know, most of the time I don't, I don't feel the need to explain it. I just say, these are my pronouns. Okay. Um, great. Yeah. In fact, I don't think that, um, I don't think that I should have to explain it. I'm, you know, I'm doing it right. here for the benefit of, of you and your listeners. But I think that, I think normally that's, that's just going to be a very personal thing and hopefully mm -hmm. people respect that. Right. Yeah. And that, and I think that's one of the things It's like, we pick and choose where we want to educate on these gender issues. And I think, you know, we're going to have a different conversation here within this podcast than what we would at a diner you know, when we're talking with, you know, just people in the general public. So, but Avery, let's, before we get into, you know, your full transition story and, you know, your approach to transition, you know, give us a little bit about who you are and what makes you tick as a person. <laughs> so, okay. Well, let's see. My name is Avery. I'm, I am a ripe 41 years old right now. Um, <clears throat> I am a mother of a seven-year-old child. A single mother. Um, I work in IT. Um, I like to hike and um, <laughs> I, I like to play board games. And let me see what else is on my dating profile. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, long I don't walk, know. I guess long, um, long, long walks through the gorges. 
yeah long i do like <laughs> the, the gorges here and i live in ithaca new york and ithaca is gorgeous it's it's our it's our motto here i've lived here for about about four years before that i lived in rochester for a long time so i won't go further back than that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and um oh i'm i'm polyamorous um I've heard I'm, that rumor. I'm a I'm a <laughs> Satanist. Um, I uh, through the uh, the uh, Satanic Temple, although although none of my views represent them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. There's I, there's there's uh, there's a lot I could say. I guess um, I I like art. I like photography. Um. As I mentioned in the uh, uh, before we started recording, I am a I am a professional model because I once got paid uh, through clothing as a as a young child to model. Uh, I have not since uh, been been a model who has received money, but um, I'm going to like take that to my grave. <laughs> I like when you can uh, put the word professional in front know, of all you need anything. to do is get you get somebody to pay you for something and then it's, you're a professional. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even need to provide context. It's like, no, I got paid for that. So I'm professional. That's right. That's and compensation, I consider to be pay. So if any, any sort of compensation. <laughs> great. <laughs> and if we lived in a barter economy, like, you know, it wouldn't have to be money. So true. That's a good point. Yep. Oh, I'm queer. I don't know if we covered that, but. <laughs> well, how would you define queer? I mean, for you, I mean. Um, I am. Poly- so, well, let's take two parts of that. So let's make this two parts. You're queer polyamorous. I, I am polyamorous. Uh, I'm pansexual. Um, I am into kink. Um so so those are like some things that put me outside of the normal bounds of society i guess yeah but being outside of the normal bounds of society is not a bad place to be no no it's it's lovely here i like the fringe a lot actually yeah or whatever word you want to call it I like the Fringe too. And in fact, Rochester has a lovely festival every once in a while that's called the Fringe Fest. Yep. Yeah, yeah. it'll be back this year. So Avery, what 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 got you started on your transition, you know? And then we'll parlay that or Avery, what got you started on your transition and we'll move that into what got me know? started? Like like are we going back to like when I was um when I was an egg, as they say, when um, when I was like, oh, I don't even know if I'm trans yet. Yeah, I mean, how did your egg crack? Okay, well, my egg cracked <laughs> when when I was like eight. <laughs> um, I mean, I knew I knew that I, you know, who I was. I don't think I had it. You know, I I don't think that at the time that I had a very um, clear understanding of it. And I had a lot of crazy ideas about gender that had been socialized into me at the time. Um, And I spent a long time thinking about it. 
um, you know, I did not actually come out uh, to my wife, who was the only person um, I ever told. And before that, um, I wrote, I, I kept the journal when I was a teenager about all the thoughts I had about my gender. And I kept this thing so, so secret. I had it, uh, we had a dry, I had a drop ceiling in my bedroom and uh, I got up, uh, you know, on, on, on my bed and I, and I like put this on the drops under on the top of the drop ceiling. So nobody ever would find it because, uh, you know, as a child, like my mom thought there was something up with me. So she searched my room constantly um, and she never found it. And um, when I left for college, I was so terrified that somebody would find out and read the journal that I burned it before I left. Oh, wow. And then I kept that secret until I was 37 years old. And I did not tell, I had a, I had a close call conversation with my wife at the time um, where she asked me like about where I had, oh, actually I had mentioned something along the lines of like, wouldn't you want to like have a different body and like live as like another gender basically. And, and uh, she immediately, instead of responding to that question, asked me if I was gay <laughs> and I was like, um, you know, I thought about it and I was terrified that would be the end of my marriage. So I lied at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, instead of getting into, yes, I am, um, you know, or at least I was, I was queer and pansexual and trans. And I didn't want to mention any of those things because I was also a Jehovah's Witness then, both of us were. And that was not going to fly. Well, not only were you Jehovah's Witness, but you were very active in your um, hall as well, correct? I was. Well, you're kind of required to be as a Jehovah's Witness. But, you know, I did all the door-to-door -door stuff that Jehovah Witnesses are known for. Um, you know, I was um, uh, performing extra duties, I would say. They call them privileges when you do free work for them. Um, <clears throat> Oh and um what I was a privilege to volunteer and do free work for that's right when you do volunteer work they can you're supposed to say well thank you for picking me to do your volunteer work um and you know i did you know uh they when they ran their meetings i like ran their mixers and um helped uh helped make that happen for people and you know at the time that was what i believed in and um, we could get into, to why, but I'll let you ask me the next question. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, at 37, then you have that conversation with your wife and, you know, and then what? Well, I had that conversation with my wife. Um, I'm going to be careful here because I don't want to speak for her, but I will describe to the best of my ability what happened no this is all from your viewpoint right from my viewpoint um she did not take it very well she was still a very devout jehovah's witness at the time 
you know, she believed that just me being trans and I mean, me being trans might be acceptable, but definitely not me wanting to transition or to follow through on that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and I will, before I, before I say this, like she, she has recent, she has in, uh, since changed her mind, but at the time, at the time she told me I was, and, and she's apologized for this, but, but it was, it was very hard at the time. And she said that I was an abomination. Mm. She said that I was never going to see my child again. Um, she did not tell me at the time that she would leave me, although that was somewhat implied. Right. Um, we did have a very honest discussion about where I wanted to go and what I was going to do, how I was going to transition basically. And Avery, can uh, I ask you, sorry to interrupt. I just was, I was thinking about that conversation. Um, not that it's the same thing, but I was thinking about my own experience coming out, having a filter of uh, some kind of faith, right? A denomination, some kind of religious aspect to my life and kind of reconciling with those things. And obviously thinking of that conversation you were having with your wife at the time, or maybe even you want to reflect on it now, when you reflect on it now, do you sense, I'm not even sure what my question is exactly, but you, you can take it however you want to take it. I guess I'm thinking, are, do you feel you've had some healing from reconciling with that faith? Um, are you still reconciling with it? Are you still figuring it out? I'm, I just, for myself, I'm always curious because I'm still reconciling with some things. Like there's things I've definitely healed from and things that I've definitely peeled off layer by layer that I'm like, yeah, this is definitely not what I believe or not what I think anymore. But I'm just curious from your perspective, are there any, anything you want to share as far as how to mesh those things? Because I think that's really, that's just one more layer on top of others that I find very difficult for me. So I'm just okay. curious from your take on that. Yeah, um, well, I'll, I'll start with before I came out to her, I spent a lot of time thinking about my faith first. My faith was a barrier for me to accept that I was transgender. And I mean, like, I knew that I was, but like, I could not, I couldn't feel happy with myself and like who I was until I dealt with the faith issues um, <clears throat> because it was in direct opposition to you know what they believed um, so I spent a lot of time thinking about that um, there's a whole story that goes with that I don't think we have time for but um, but definitely there's a, there was a saga of me, like leaving that church and, and all the stuff that happened. Um, <clears throat> but I think that by the time I, she, so my, my wife was aware I was struggling with my faith. I had discussed that with her that, that much I had discussed with her before I came out to her as transgender. 
I did tell her at the time that I was the, the same time that I told her I was transgender that I was absolutely sure I didn't believe anymore though. Um, you know, because I think that was important to establish like, like there's going to be no arguing about uh, on faith-based reasons why I should, shouldn't be, you know, uh, you know, find my truth this way. Yeah. Um, and I think that on some level, my faith was somewhat weak. I think that I, even though I was in this, this, um, fundamentalist uh i would say cult <laughs> um <laughs> so even though i was in this cult um the reason that i had gone into it was partly because that was the religion of which my wife wife was was part of but also partly because I knew that I had this, these underlying feelings. I knew that I'd been struggling with my, my like gender feelings for a long time. And that being, it's sort of how like when people like who don't feel like they're, um, they've got their life together, like join the military because they, they want structure. Yeah. Like for me, joining a religion was like you're gonna like help me with straightening up and conforming to all of these you know um heteronormative standards that like i'm struggling with yeah no thank you thank you for sharing that that's i think that's a powerful um i guess when i said reconcile i wasn't yeah I mean, I'm assuming you've I had mostly, I had mostly reconciled <laughs> it by, by the time that I think in order for me to move forward and come out to my wife, I had to have already, for me, I had to have reconciled that already. That's great. And I think that leads us into like, that's a good um, segue into living truth, living your truth with the, the next topic we wanted to talk about, which was surgery as yes. a transgender person. So maybe we could talk about how, how you approach that and what your process was. Okay. Um, so um, I'd say that uh, for me, my vision for myself since I was young was not so heavily grounded in gender roles, but more in my physical presence. Hmm. Um, and I think that um, what I knew was, you know, from a young age, I had kind of like, I, I would stand in the mirror and I would like think like, what would I look like, you know, as a grown woman, basically. And, you know, and obviously then the nightmare of, of first puberty. And then, and then I was like, this is not, this is not what I was thinking. Um, <clears throat> and then, um, 
you know, like fast forward to when I actually transition and I'm like, well, I have a, I already had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do. Like, you know, I wanted to take hormones because that would give me, you know, those uh, secondary uh, sexual characteristics, you know, mm-hmm. um, it would, you know, redistribute the fat on my body. It would make me more curvy, make my skin softer. Um, those are things that I wanted. I think that, um, I think that I had always, I had since a young age, you know, um, um, had still thought of myself as a woman from, from since I was, since I was young. And, um, one of my main goals, I think at my transition then has been to be able to be recognized by other people as a woman, which, you know, some people might say like, oh, you're doing these surgeries to like, please other people. But, you know, in real in reality, I think I just want people to see me how I how I feel that I am and I think that um that makes it uh easier and you know I mean I can't I know like it would be great if we lived in a society where you know you can look however you want and people just like you know respect your identity and um, and for, unfortunately, that doesn't really always happen. And I think, um, especially I know from like my early transition, that it's very frustrating when, when people don't don't gender you correctly. Um, so anyways, yeah. Um, I went through a number of surgeries. I The first thing that I did was um i had a vocal surgery which uh to to basically to raise the 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 pitch of my voice um believe it or not which believe i'm sorry go ahead real quick before we get into the specifics on your vocal surgery did you have a list of surgeries like these are the ones i want and you know and did you have a priority to them oh that's a good question um, I knew from the outset that I was eventually going to want, uh, to want a uh, bottom of surgery or a vaginal plasty. Um, that was, that was something like that bothered me from the outset, even though nobody else saw it, that was part of like how I thought about myself and I needed to, to correct that. Um, other things I had considered you know, I knew, I know like the menu of things that are available basically to like, you know, trans feminine people. And, you know, I'd like, oh, I'm like, oh, that might be nice. That might be nice. And some of those things, you know, I thought um, maybe they won't be important. And some of them I thought, well, maybe I should give like the hormones time. Like in the case of like breast development, I was like, you know, I could end up naturally having, you know, like breasts that make me, that I feel that are an acceptable size, I guess. <laughs> um, so I said, oh, I'll give it time. And um, kind of what I found was that 
as time went on and, you know, my body changed as I kind of, you know, transitioned socially that my priorities on certain things changed. And I felt like, uh, and as I mentioned the vocal surgery, that became one of the first things that I wanted because I spent a lot of time like out and about. And what I noticed was when I started speaking that people would suddenly, I would be in mid conversation with somebody. They would gender me correctly. I mean, I I shouldn't say mid conversation. I would enter into an engagement with somebody. They would be speaking to me. They would gender me correctly. I then would open my mouth and start talking to them. And suddenly they changed their pronouns and, or my pronouns and started using, you know, gendered words, masculine gendered words for me. Um, So I'm like, oh, it's my voice. My voice is a problem. And Avery, can I ask where you actually went to get that surgery? I've actually never heard, I guess for me, um, I know there's options for people, but I hadn't even thought of considering vocal surgery. So where did you go to get that surgery? Okay. Um, so my options were somewhat limited. I, I got this surgery during the middle of the pandemic in, in 2020. <laughs> um, I had considered this place in Korea called the Yisan uh, Voice Clinic, um, which would have been lovely because, like, they're I, from what I from what I know, they're they're top notch surgeons surgeons there, and uh, also a trip to Korea, South Korea would have been nice, not North Korea. That would not be a great place yeah. to visit. <laughs> not so much. Um, I don't understand. Well, yeah, why not? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so anyways um because of the pandemic i like the south korean option went off the table because they weren't allowing people to travel Mm -hmm. um it so happened though that my second choice uh who was a doctor in practicing a surgeon practicing out of rochester um I will say his name, but even though I'm going, I have mixed feelings about the results. I don't think that's necessarily his fault. I think that he did a fine job. Um, his name was Dr. Michael Haben. And uh, he, he worked, he's practicing out of Rochester. Um, so yeah, so, so I ended up going to him. And I mean, Rochester is a two hour trip from where I live. So it was quite convenient that I could just get in my car and go to uh, go to the place where my surgery is because, uh, as most trans people know, there are the specialists for like certain things are like all over the place. I mean, in mm-hmm. the case of some surgeries, people travel travel out of the country to 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 go to you know special surgeons. Right. you mentioned your results and you're not overly thrilled with them and we can edit out that long pause, (laughs) but you know, I mean, what, 
what happened there with the surgery that would lead you to say that? So initially, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so initially, I mean, where's my water? Uh, I don't know what in this thing. Um, initially after the surgery, <laughs> excuse me, hold on, I've reset here. So initially after the surgery, I um, had a very hoarse voice, but I thought my pitch was pretty, was, you know, effectively raised as the surgery promises. Now they, they tell you before the surgery. And if you read up on the surgeries, like pitch is not the end all be all of how your, your voice is gendered, but it's definitely, it definitely contributes to it. Um, and my pitch was good. So I was like, okay, um, you know, my voice was recovering and it was hoarse, which was to be expected. And I think what I noticed, and, and at first I just thought this was um, in my head because I was nervous, was that my voice was getting deeper again. Mm. Now, over time, I went to the surgeon and he, you know, put a camera down my throat and we, you know, inspected the vocal folds. And what he found was that I had some separation in the um, sutures that they had, that he had put in. So effectively, I did lose some of the effort that you know or the uh, the work that that he, he did to my vocal cords not all of that and i also had a bit of granulation tissue um my which, nemesis yes granulation tissue is, is the nemesis it uh it, it is like a um vascular tissue that forms over uh, uh, wounds uh, sometimes instead of the tissue that would normally be there, your body produces this to like quickly cover a wound. And it's um, very vascular and it bleeds easily. Right. And, um, and some of that tissue is affecting the quality of my voice too. And I have, um, I have the option to get a revision. I'm considering it. Um, every, the, the vocal surgery, as they tell you right out of the gate, is like one of the, the things they warn you about is, well, you might just lose your voice altogether, which is pretty scary when you're going into it. But at the time that I, that I initially got surgery, that was quite an acceptable risk because I was at the time I was thinking, well, maybe I'll just, maybe I'm just never going to talk again. Maybe that's what I'll do. <laughs> but, but my question then is, so if you do go in for the revision, what's the prognosis then of getting it back or to where it was before, you know, before the suture separated? I, you know, I think he said, um, and this is maybe getting in too deep into the medical part of it, but um, he would basically put in some new sutures to, to reverse the loss. 
and and try to remove the existing granulation tissue. Um, that granulation, I could then have new granulation tissue form after the surgery. So there's no guarantee that would be gone forever. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, there is the risk of losing my voice. However, I'm still not too convinced that would happen. Mm -hmm. That's, I, I hear you say that, Avery, and I'm just like, yeah, that's, um, it's a scary thought, right? But I guess that's why everything in, I would assume in transition is personal because everybody has to decide what they're willing to, you know, what's, what's an acceptable risk to you is not going to be acceptable to somebody else and, um, what people want to do, you know, what people are willing to do. And I, yeah, those are, they're hard decisions is my point, I guess, is, and everybody has to make them for themselves. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to add too, if it's okay, of course. that, that before I made the decision for surgery, because I feel like this is going to be in somebody's head somewhere. Like, why didn't you, why didn't you train your voice before or something like that? Like what people do without surgery, which I absolutely did. Um, I happened to be, and I'd like to, to give a shout out to them, but um, the, uh, there is a speech pathology school here that is part of Ithaca College. And they have a very popular and free um, uh, voice uh, modification clinic for transgender people. Hmm. Um, I went through that program two times and it was very effective for some people. And for me, I struggled with it because I could not get my voice to move um, I could not get, I couldn't get it to stay at a, the, and specifically it's why I got the surgery. It's like the pitch, I could not, I could not raise my pitch. And, um, I know some people would listen to my voice now and they'll say, oh, it's like somewhat deep maybe. Um, but it was much worse before my surgery. Well, I, I live, you know, you and I know each other, you know, personally and you know, through social media and our interactions to me, your voice, yeah, it, it does register a little bit deeper, but, but pitch isn't the end all be all. And your voice is very distinct, but yet when I, when I hear it, I hear a feminine quality in the way you roll through your language, oh. your usage of language. Well, thank you. Um, so that is actually, I mean, that is something I've worked on over time. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, as far as like uh, working on those aspects of my voice, I think that has been something I've improved over time. I think people have commented on that before. Um, and I think that is basically what people usually get out of vocal training is, is, is um, what was the, what is the term? I think it's prosody. It's, it's all of these other, these other aspects of, of the voice that are not pitch. <laughs> yes. 
Well, from, from vocal surgery, then where do you go? Uh, so vocal surgery, you know, I was like, I was feeling it. It felt good for a while. And I think that was good. Um, I started to, I think if you were to ask other people, I think this wouldn't be an uncommon experience for transgender people is that as you know, my body changed, the hormones did their thing. I think I mentioned this earlier, um, you know, priorities shift and like, I started to get bothered about other things um, that I felt, you know, weren't meeting my standards um, because I had been patient up to that point where I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to let the hormones do their work and hopefully everything will turn out well. Um, you know, I started to take a lot of, I mean, um, I have an Instagram account. I took for a while, I took quite a few pictures. Um, I still do, but not as many. Um, and fabulous. it's a fabulous Instagram account. And I think that's I, where uh, we first connected. Yes. Right. Which I've connected, uh, the, that, uh, being on Instagram has been so important for me and developing a support network. But um, I think that what I noticed in pictures was like, oh, like as my hair, my hair. So I started, unlike some people, I did not start my transition with long hair. A lot of people have already grown their hair out when they start a transition, they get on hormones. Um, I did not. Um, and part of that had to do with the environment I was in at the time that I started my transition like that would have been a problem with the people I was I was around um, so I grew my hair out you know over the course of my transit transition and eventually um, I noticed like oh my hair is getting longer um, but it made the parts of my head where I did not have hair more noticeable than me. Sorry about that. It, um, so I started to notice um, where I had uh, a quote unquote uh, male pattern baldness. So uh, for me, that was recession, deep recession in my temples. And um, it, it really did not make me feel good. It made me, it forced me to like, to style my hair as to like cover it up. Like I could do that most of the time. Um, but, <laughs> But occasionally, you know, the wind would blow or something and like blow my hair way back up and like expose my, 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 you know, my uh, insecurities, so to speak, of my, like, like my bald spots. And, um, you know, and I, I always thought like, oh, maybe my hair, you know, will be long enough. I mean, I always like, oh, I thought it would be cool to have long hair someday and, like, oh, maybe I could pin it back. And I said, you know, I'm never going to pin it back if it's like this, because then, then it'll expose the bald spots. So, um, 
and you know make me look more masculine and i wasn't i wasn't i was not feeling that <laughs> um so so i ended up looking into into hair transplants um initially i looked into hair transplants and it was basically a non-starter for me um, in order to um, to have my vocal surgery, in order to have my vocal surgery, I had to extend myself financially a little bit. Mm -hmm. And because the vocal surgery was not going to be covered at all by insurance. Uh, so when it came to hair transplants, I could not justify, or even I don't think I could have even made happen paying for it if I had to pay out of pocket, which when I started looking into it was the only thing that I could do. Hmm. Um, where I work, um, and I will not mention their name, where I work, the insurance plan did not cover hair transplants. And I think I looked into this in, oh, I think it was, it was still, um, it was still like 20, 2019. I'd started my, my hormone, you know, uh, hormones and I think 20, oh, I mean, I'm going to get the dates all wrong here, but I think that was the end of 2018 or, um, no, not sure. Anyways, not important. Um, what is important was I looked it up and it wasn't covered. And I basically just cried and I said, it's not going to happen. So I need to just try to accept this, you know. Um, so, <clears throat> so a year goes by. And I'm starting to look into other surgeries, actually, at this time. I'm, like, thinking about possibly getting, like, a breast augmentation. And I'm like, oh, is that covered by my plan? So I go and look, look up all this stuff in, in, the, uh, in the insurance documentation that my employer provides. And it turns out that at the beginning of that year, they have an addendum. The addendum says that they now cover hair transplants. Wow. And so I start to think, well, who's going to do it? How am I going to get this covered? Because even when I, uh, for a lot of the transgender surgeries, like I looked into, um, I looked into facial feminization surgery at one point too. Uh, the doctor who I talked to, which was, uh, I think Dr. Spiegel, which he is, um, he has a reputation. I'm not going to slander him on here, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but anyways, I talked to him. That, that was and, a way to put it. And his office does not handle insurance. Even if you had coverage, like uh, for that type of surgery, um, and he's one of the more well-known surgeons. 
his office would not take your insurance. Um, well, a, lot they, of, a lot of doctors are trying to avoid insurance just to keep costs down, quote unquote. Right. But, you know, when you don't have any out of, yeah, uh, you, you don't have you, any capital, up, you know, and, and a lot of transgender people aren't like particularly rich. So, <laughs> no, no, we're actually probably one of the poorest subsections of the economy. Right. So um, anyways, this surgeon wouldn't take it. And I, you know, I had a similar fear for hair transplants. I'm like, if the leading surgeon for well, one of the leading surgeons for that type of surgery wouldn't take it, then what are the chances of me finding a surgeon who does hair transplants that will get it covered under insurance and handle the billing and everything associated with that? Um, so, you know, I had, a, I looked, I went into my provider, my insurance provider's website, and I and I looked into um, plastic surgeons, basically, because that's usually who handles this sort of thing. And, you know, I found one who also had on their website that they did hair transplants. Um, I was relatively hope, hopeful at that point that I saw the surgeon listed there. However, the surgeon was not listed under um, you know, they had a, uh, a special, they have a name for their practice. The practice was not listed in there. The surgeon was, so I was starting to get a little bit nervous about that. I was like, oh, maybe, you know, they do work independently or like this wouldn't be covered under that somehow. Um, I decided anyways, to, to like, you know, to, um, to get a consult, <laughs> um, I talked to them. They were very doubtful at, at the plastic surgery clinic that I would be able to get it covered because they said no one has ever, ever had a, tra a hair transplant through them get covered by insurance. The one thing that they did have going for them, though, was that they did other types of surgery that were covered by insurance. and had the you know mechanism in place to like bill insurance <laughs> well what 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 facility was that then if you are you comfortable mentioning that uh yes it is the quitella center for plastic surgery in rochester okay so again we're back in rochester so you're coming up here for so you had your vocal surgery up here you're doing your hair transplants and and yeah they're a big plastic surgery center here in rochester so so that went fairly smoothly then for you then right it did i i you know they submitted the uh the claim where they have to do for for these surgeries i mean almost all the transgender uh transition related surgeries they have to do a pre-authorization where they, they ask the insurance company if you'll actually approve this uh, thing that we want. Um, you have to get letters with that too? You do. Um, so I, I didn't, they had no experience, uh, you know, billing for such a thing. So I gave them, having um, had already started the process for bottom surgery at the time, I had the letters. Um, that I would need for bottom surgery. So I, I basically said to them, 
my insurance company needs a diagnosis of gender dysphoria to in order to get this approved. Uh, my letters basically spell that out. Um, and also that I was, you know, sound of mind. That it wasn't just, you know, I knew what I was doing. Um, and the letters that I had were not specifically tailored or addressed to that surgeon, but I said, well, you know, in that case, in any case though, it does document the medical condition which necessitates this surgery. Um, so I said, I gave, the, gave them the letters. I said to them to just like submit this with the claim as, you know, uh, additional um, uh, um, um, uh, what is Document the word? Documentation. Documentation. Yes. Okay. Um, so they sent it and, you know, I was on the edge of my seat because they had never, <laughs> they've never done this before and they'd never gotten an approval. And, um, I was waiting patiently, patiently. They told me like the claim would take a week to to get processed usually on their experience so a week passes i call to get a status update on it and the person who normally handles it is on vacation of course oh my god <laughs> so i was a little bit I wouldn't say I wasn't angry, but I was, uh, you know, it was, it was frustrating because I just, I just so badly wanted to hear if I was going to qualify or not. And um, eventually I called and they got, they got back to me. I talked to some other people and uh, even though that person was out, the office was able to verify that they had received approval from, from the insurance company. Hey. Um, and then, and then scheduling it was, um, you know, a matter of uh, time, and and it was a amazing uh, that particular procedure. You stay awake for it. They give you a bunch of shots to numb you, and um, they cut a hole in the back of your head. At least this version of it that I had. They take a big chunk of your scalp. They pull. I'm sorry. Is this too graphic for your? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They, they, they pull out it? all of the hair follicles and then they like shave them down to a specific length and they put them in some sort of nutrient gel and keep them alive. And uh, over the course of hours, it says this is a all day a procedure and there's a huge number of people working on me. Um, they like punch holes into my into my scalp where they're going to put the hairs and then they they individually place each one of these follicle hair follicles into those holes it's, oh, a, wow. it's a it's a very tedious procedure it sounds oh. like it and it, um i and i have pictures on my i think still on my instagram of directly after the uh, the procedure, and you can see how bloody my scalp is from that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that was that was what February of two thousand twenty one. February? No, no, no. That was um, so. I had I had scheduled the um, 
the the hair transplant to be basically a month before my bottom surgery. As I mentioned, that was already in progress. Yep. Uh, which my bottom surgery was in October. Hmm. So you had the hair transplant a month before you went in for the bottom surgery. Yeah. I mean, what I figured was that I was going to be out of work and recovering from the, the other surgery. So I said, well, if, unless there's a conflict, and I talked to both surgeons, I said, is this going to be a problem? Like, you know, that I went right. to, had this surgery done and then this one. Um, they said that it would be fine. So I scheduled them back to back, basically. Well, that's September then of last year. Yeah. Okay. And now are you happy with the results? I am happy with the results. Um, I had pretty realistic uh, expectations. They did a good job of setting my expectations when I went in for the procedure. Um, and what they told me was that with a hair transplant, it, they said most people will find that it isn't as dense as they would like, like as full. Yep. Um, and I found that to be the case. However, for me, it made a world of difference in like not feeling like I had these huge bald spots on my head. I mean, I can still tell where the hair transplant is, but it's, it's really not as noticeable to me anymore. And if my hair incidentally blows up or something, it's not like I, I feel like exposed like I used to be. No, that makes right. sense. Yeah. So you, so you had that in September of last year, and then you said it was a month before bottom surgery. So you roll right from hair surgery on literally top surgery, top of the head surgery. That's right. From top from bottom, to bottom. From top to bottom. From top to bottom, right. <laughs> um, yeah, so bottom surgery was in the works at the time that, uh, that I had that. I had it all planned out. I had been actually preparing and planning for bottom surgery then for a good two years before it actually happened. Um, if uh, I don't know if it's been discussed by your guests before, but hair removal, permanent hair removal is required by most surgeons for bottom surgery yep. is a lengthy process. Yep. It's and uh, you have to start that early if that's your plan to get surgery eventually because the hair I, would all yeah I was just gonna say my advice to anybody like if you're early in transition or you're pre-hrt and you one of your and if bottom surgery is on your list start start the hair hair removal process now yeah definitely um, yeah that's a good i didn't even think about that that's really this is so enlightening to me because it's like all these steps almost like these pre-steps before you actually get to maybe the yeah. the goal surgery of what you want yeah oh, yeah you yeah. don't you don't wake up on a tuesday and say hey i'm gonna have bottom surgery next <laughs> week. Doesn't happen. i figured it wasn't like ordering starbucks amy but i just you know it's nice to get a sense of the timeline that I, you know, things that I wouldn't have considered. So it's, it's, I love, I love learning all this stuff. Ooh, a Neo Vagina app. There you go. Oh, an app that tells <laughs> you what to do, basically. Or like a directory of surgeons. Oh, you know, I would, I mean, yeah. uh, 
I would recommend for some people who might be interested in looking up information about such things. Um, I have spent quite a t- bit of time on Reddit. Um, although some people would refer to Reddit as the cesspool of the internet, only second <laughs> to 4chan. Oh. But <laughs> yeah. I think but, it depends. Um, I think that depends on the subreddit you're in. Yes, it does depend on the subreddit. There is a there's a really good uh trans surgeries um subreddit. And they maintain a wiki that has a list of surgeons and their specialties by state. Oh, that's important. Right. And and in some cases they actually go into which which particular techniques the surgeons use, if there, if that makes a difference for some people. Well, yeah, we were, you know, when we were talking, so, you know, you, that's one of the key differences, you know, both of us have had bottom surgery and, you know, you went down to NYU and, you know, why did you choose NYU over, you know, let's say Mount Sinai or, you know, upstate medical where I went, you know, which is only an hour from your house. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that um, uh, Upstate Medical, which uh, I saw a Dr. Nikolovsky there, I consulted with Dr. Nikolovsky. Um, I found that he was a good surgeon. I've known people. I know. I mean, at least I had. I had a very close friend who who went to who went to him. Well, beyond me. Yeah, I mean, other than you. <laughs> Actually, before you, I knew somebody. Yeah, yeah. Year, yeah, they were about a year before me. Right. So, like, you know, I've 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 seen his results. Um, I knew his work was highly recommended by people because uh, through the grapevine, I had heard that you know he was a surgeon. He was the surgeon who helped fix other people's mistakes. He was. Uh, he was. I'd like to call him a revisionist, but I think that's that sounds like he's rewriting history. <laughs> well, and, but to be quite frankly, even though he has, you know, at the time that I had my surgery with him, I was like, eh, I want to say the 25th plus ish patient that he had for bottom surgery, but, and that's not a huge number of surgeries, but because he had done all the revisions and because of his technique with him as the urologist, a plastic and a robotic, and then his, all of his experience fixing other people's goofs. That's why I chose him. Right. That was the reason. Right. Well, and plus he's only an hour and a half from Rochester. I had very, very strongly considered him because um, the logistics of it worked out so much better than my other choice because he was only an hour away from me. It means I could stay in my house to recover. I didn't have to go rent a hotel anywhere. And if I had to do a follow-up visit, it was a quick trip to to Syracuse where he operates out of. Um, However, I had a few concerns and some of those concerns are that I had to deal with the fact that I 
was as they as they as they say uh, you know before surgery i would say i was i was a uh, a grower and not a shower <laughs> and for those that order... can't see the audio my hand just went flying up <laughs> <laughs> that's right um so i had to deal with it like and and most so so most vaginal plasties the most common ones are just a, a penile inversion. So they take the penis, the shaft of the penis, and that be basically becomes the vaginal canal. Um, in that case, if you know you don't have a lot to work with, then you know they have some options sometimes for they can take skin grafts or some other stuff like that. Take a lot to. Oh, real quick, Nikolovsky did say if I did not have enough that he would he would have tried on me and I would have been his first, but I wasn't the perineal tissue. Oh, interesting. Because I specifically that is uh so so getting into the, the second reason. Um I had been reading a lot about the techniques that were employed uh, for uh, creating, you know, uh, a vulva and a vagina, clitoris, the whole, the works. Um, and one of the things that, you know, struck me as a difference was there are certain techniques they, uh, like the penile version is the most common. Um, and I felt like that I wanted to have something that felt to me more closely, more closely functioned like a natal vagina. Yeah, and that and that's I think the big difference of why to choose the technique you did. I yeah, right. So so the the peritoneal pull through vaginal plasty um, is offered by a handful of surgeons in in the world. <laughs> um, Nikolaski, as you mentioned, as good of a surgeon as he is, does not do that. In fact, I talked to his office uh, just last week because they were calling me to see if I was still interested in getting surgery. And I asked them if they offered that and they said, no, they're still not offering it. Yeah. They um, do the peanut. They, the way it was worded to me, is like, if there wasn't enough in the, with the penile inversion that they would take some perineal tissue and then use that in place of a traditional skin graft. Right. Yeah. That, that was, was, that was the way it was worded to me. So that was the second issue. Well, sorry, that was part of the first issue was basically like, I had some concerns that I would not have the depth to have a vagina that was suitable for um, penetrative sex. So that was a consideration for you then. The, the it was, sex. right. Um, so, um, you know, I did not feel like, I felt like that might be an issue, but also I wanted to have a vagina that was, um, they, they, they say self-cleaning, I guess, like the moisture helps move, helps move um, bacteria. You know, 
Yeah, so it's not a period. It, it's it's just moisture, but it kind of flushes things out over yeah. time. Um, and, and it provides an environment for the, the flora, you know, the bacteria in, in the vagina. So, mm-hmm. um, so that was important to me. See, that was and, one of the reasons why I didn't pick that procedure. Because with that continual movement of fluid, it requires... It, you know, from what I understand that you're going to have to wear some sort of liner for the rest of your life, essentially. Is that correct? Uh, that, well, that was not told. They, they, they basically, what I, what I learned from some people that some people uh, find that they produce a lot of fluid after yeah. surgery and some people not so much. Um, yeah. And that's right. Because I, because I'm, I, I exercise, I work out, I, I referee ice hockey still, and I, and I run, especially during the summer months up here. And that was one of the reasons why I didn't want that one, because I didn't, I didn't want to take that chance on discharging so much fluid all the time, especially, and even now with my inversion, I've noticed in, in warm, humid weather that I still produce a lot of vaginal fluid during that, during the summer months here. So it's an interesting comparison and how we had some similar thoughts, but yet how we each went different directions on our approach to them. Yeah. And I had heard, I had heard, like I said, I heard mixed, um, you know, feedback on that. And to me, I guess it said, well, it wasn't going to be too bothersome if I had to wear a, like uh, some sort of pad sometimes. Um, so, so and I have to do that now. Um, I think though, so you could edit this part out if you want later. <laughs> to be honest with you, I probably won't. I, but you or probably we, will. We probably won't because but, Sarah, but, Sarah's editing this. Okay, great. So you have to listen to this again. Great. Good on you. <laughs> so experience. So, so one of the things uh, you have to do with any vaginal plasty is to dilate which basically is to stick a hard plastic dildo into the vaginal canal and you know stretch out the the vagina um and you inevitably i mean i think for most people you're gonna have to put lube on it to to get it in and not you know for it to hurt um, so directly after surgery, now this varies by surgeon, but, uh, my surgeon wanted me to dilate four times a day. Well, I had to start with that too. Right. So, Ooh. so you're putting, you're putting lube into your vagina four times a day. It is, it is going to just slowly leak out over time. So no matter how much fluid I produce because of the surgery, the type of surgery I have, I'm still going to be dripping lube all day long. Um, and thus not I need- Not the fun way. Yes, not the fun way. There was no, there was no like build up to it that was fun. I have this vision of my driveway. I don't know what is wrong with me. <laughs> that dilation um i would say the experience uh there are i've heard some people enjoy it but most people find it somewhat tedious 
Tedious. Um, so you have that going on. So right now I would say I can't even gauge. Um, I'm down to twice a day now. I'm, I'm uh, a little over four months out of surgery. And um, it's David, getting can I ask extra- how, I'm sorry, David. How, no, so when, when you say doing this four times a day or two times a day, and how long does that have to stay? Oh, so uh, the instructions from my surgeon were to hold the dilator in at least 15 minutes at a go. Okay. So uh, especially at first, there's some amount of time to comfortably get it into uh, at depth, I guess, all the way in, mm-hmm. then hold it for 15 minutes and then pull it out and clean. <laughs> okay. I mean, you're talking a 45 minute process. Yeah. And if you're trying to do something like, uh, so the dilators come in different sizes, um, different, different, um, girths, I, I guess I don't, they're, they're different, uh, <laughs> different girths, like length, length and width with there's different widths. Um, so, so you start usually at a smaller one, you work your way up and you're working your way up, um, Sometimes it's more comfortable to do the smaller one and then go up to the larger one, in which case it takes even more time because you're doing two of them. Yeah, I mean, and I think we, you know, you know, you and I discussed this between us the other night. We we all have to find our own pattern of that too. And so, you know, I tend to start with, you know, one of the smaller ones. Uh, but a lot of times I'll start with the purple one and for the trans listeners, you'll know what that one is. That's the small one. And then I'll build up, you know, maybe I'll do five purple, then I'll bump up and maybe do five on another one. And then end with the big longer, well, the, the widest one, which, which is the orange one. And I'll end on that for 10 minutes. Just to kind of, because I, I can't, I could never start with the orange one. I, I would have to, I have to build up to that one every time. Yeah, the orange one. And somebody asked me recently um, if I had named them, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I the orange one I call Big Ben because it's the biggest one I have. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I mean, so four months, you know, post post bottom surgery, five months post hair transplants. I mean, the things are know, moving those- along, right? Yeah. So let's ask with the final question. So, you know, would you do these surgeries again? Um, yeah, I think, I think even the vocal surgery, which to me had very mixed results, I would still have done that because it did raise the pitch of my voice slightly from what it used to be. I forget if I might still have my, I, I had a clip on Instagram actually of my, um, of my voice before and after. Um, and there's a difference. There is, um, it's not as much as I expected or I wanted. Yeah. But, but, but as we said earlier, you've also done the vocal training and I have done some training. Yes. Yeah. And, and you do have, you know, beyond pitch, the cadence of your voice is a lot. It, it is. I mean, when I hear you speak, I'm like, it's a deep voice, feminine voice. It's just a deeper feminine voice. That's the way I hear you. Right. You know, and I hear that from people too. And I'm like, oh, you're, you're all fucking liars. (laughs) (laughs) 
We're all just flirting with you. That's right. You're just trying to make me feel good. It's a, it's a, it's a. Uh, One of my favorite uh, things to do. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. What a terrible thing that is. I know. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, imposter syndrome is like a real thing. Like people are, you know, I'm like, I don't really feel like I'm doing it correctly or, you know, I'm not, you know, everybody's just trying to build me up. Um, hey, you know what? And there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not sunshine up the ass for sunshine's sake. Yeah, right. So yeah, I would do uh getting back to your question though. Uh yeah, the the vocal surgery I would do again. Um the hair transplant, I think, you know, like I said, I had I had good expect realistic expectations about it. And I feel I feel that was that was a good move. Um and the the bottom surgery, I would a hundred percent, a thousand percent do that again. Of course, I would not necessarily recommend everybody do bottom surgery. I only do it if you really you know, they feel like that's something that's gonna make you feel more yourself. But like for me, it definitely did. Um yeah. I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a trans medicalist. It's these are people who like kind of believe like like you have to you have to have dysphoria and you have to have surgeries and you know now we all transition for our own reasons and our own whys and our own purpose and i th- and that's one of the reasons to do this series on you know on transition and surgeries is like you chose different path to do your transition than i chose and kind of hearing about it and it was interesting comparing and contrasting that so but in the end it just sounds like yeah you would have done them all again even with some of the i don't want to use the word setback but maybe some of the difficulties following your vocal surgery especially you know you'd still do it again though so you know that says a lot about you know who you are and the process you've been through yeah oh absolutely and i really oh sorry avery no go ahead share no, and I, I really appreciated hearing your journey. I mean, I, I think it similar to what Amy was saying, you know, because everybody's process is so unique to their own desires and what they want. I just really appreciated hearing your perspective and your lived experience about what that meant for you and why it was important. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that with us. Well, thank you. Thank you for letting me come on here and share my story. <laughs> Well, thanks. Thanks for coming on at the last minute. I called you about five o'clock. I'm like, God, can you do this? You know. Well, I was like, well, if there's one thing I've done in my life, it's talk about my transition. Yeah, I think we've all done that, and it's nice to do it in a safe environment. It it is. I'm I'm glad that I can, you know, find other people to talk to about it. I've, uh, I did spend. uh, I mentioned I have an Instagram account, and I. Well, I spent, tell, tell, tell us what that Instagram account is. Oh yes, okay. My Instagram. It twice now. Thank you. I'm 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 uh, promoting myself. Um, <laughs> please, please do. Um, my my Instagram account is is Avery underscore at least, which was actually a um, a kind of a pun because at the time that I created it, a lot of people who were trans made accounts that were somebody's name underscore at last so i thought it would be fun to just add a letter in there (laughs) 
Yeah, I know. And it's, it's a great Instagram account. There's some wonderful pictures of you. And would you mind us linking maybe somewhere along the way this week to the video of like the before and after of your? Oh yeah. Not, not at all. Right. Yeah. I'll give you a link. If it's not up right now, I'll put it back up and make sure it's up there. Oh, that'd be great. Because Since I, I mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Well, Avery, we're going to put a wrap on this part and then Sarah and I are going to be right back with some final thoughts right after the big voice. Bill Satry asks you for a few dollars. Thank you for listening to another wandering yet informative episode of Transformation Thursday. The podcast is produced and edited by Amy Stevens and Sarah Cannon. Cannon. Because bitches love cannons. Thank you for listening to another wandering yet informative episode of Transformation Thursday. The podcast is produced and edited by Amy Stevens and Sarah Cannon. The general counsel of the Transformation Thursday podcast network is Francesca Rodriguez. Until we assemble again from the land of 10,000 lakes, my name is Bill Satry, the big voice of Transformation Thursday. Good night, everyone. Thank you.